Good morning. I learned from my pastor's mistake last week. I turned it on. So I'm learning all the time. So lovely to be able to stand up here and after just singing it as well with my soul. This is a message that I'm looking at this morning, or we're all going to look at this morning, um, of the seventh trumpet of Revelation chapter 11. And if there's any time that I would uh, be want to be clear that is well with my soul is reading the book of Revelation. And so as we come to it this morning, I hope and pray that uh, as we sit here under the word that you can be sure it is well with your soul. And we're going to be looking at the reasons that it needs to be well. Open with me to Revelation chapter 11. We're indeed looking at the seventh trumpet, a different trumpet than the one we just sound about, sang about, uh, when the trump and the Lord shall descend, that's the, at the rapture, but uh, this is a different trumpet, but we'll, we'll look at it. Chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was open, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and great hailstorm. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you reading your word, your word that has been laid before us in our own language to be able to be read and to be understood. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans. You sent your Holy Spirit to, to in, enlighten us and to lead us into all truth. And we call upon your spirit this morning to take these words and to use them for your glory that, Father, we may be more Christ-like each and every day. Help us to go through this particular scripture, Lord, uh, with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit and ask your blessing upon it. Amen. Back in Revelation chapter 6, you might remember what happened when the fifth seal was opened. Actually, let's, let's turn there. Turn, turn back to chapter 6 of Revelation. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10, just to jog our memory of when the fifth seal was opened. It says in verse 9 of chapter 6 of Revelation, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And because of the testimony which they had maintained, 
And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? A group of slain Christians are asking the Lord, How long? Lord, how long do you make things right? How long do you avenge the blood, our blood? I wonder if you've ever prayed that. I wonder if you've ever prayed, How long, O Lord, till you come back? Lord, look at the stuff that's going on. It's, it's not okay. Lord, it's not right the way things are. Lord, how long until you make things right? We look at our afflictions in our own lives and we think that's quite enough. And then we look around us and we see what other people are going through and, and we cringe at what people are going through. Oh Lord, holy and true, how long until you judge the earth and make things right? The answer to that question brings us to Revelation chapter 11 that we just read. In a sentence, how long, I can't tell you. But what I can tell you, that at the seventh trumpet, our Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Now if we had time, and I mentioned to our pastor that I could have spoke to for an hour and a half, but I had to leave a lot of stuff out and I would have loved to have gone back to the Old Testament to Daniel and taken you through all that and we'll have a quick look but if I had time I'd like to take you back to Joshua chapter 6. I'd like to read the story of the destruction of Jericho but I'm pretty sure that you'll able to recall that that the people of Israel marched around Jericho with seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Covenant and they did that once every day for six days. And after going around Jericho for six days, once on the seventh day, they went around seven times. And when the seven trumpets sounded, on the seventh time, all the people gave a great shout and the walls of Jericho came crashing down. The final judgment happened to Jericho that day. Jericho was never to be built again. A curse was put on the, on the city. The utter destruction that day was God's final judgment of Jericho, a warning to all nations around them, and he used trumpets. He used seven trumpets. Why seven? Well, seven is the number of completeness. Whenever you see seven in the Scriptures, God has used that as complete. Seven days in the week. Seven trumpets around Jericho. And even though there were seven trumpets at Jericho, so also there are seven trumpets that signal the coming of the final judgment of the earth. Seven again being completeness. This morning we're looking at the blowing of that seventh trumpet, the trumpet of completeness. Just reading again from verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices 
And they had said in heaven, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Now you may have noticed that when the seventh trumpet is blown that not much appears to happen. At least not much if you're thinking about in terms of the first six trumpets. The last six trumpets that we've read starting from chapter 8 We've heard all sorts of horrible things happening. The first trumpet saw a third of the earth burned up and a third of the trees burned up and all the grass was burned up. The second trumpet saw a third of the sea turned into blood and a third of the creatures in the sea die and a third of the ships on the sea destroyed. The third trumpet saw a third of the rivers and a third of the springs, uh, uh, the springs of water were uh, given a bitterness to the point of killing people. The fourth trumpet saw a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars darkened. And then in chapter 8, 13, if that wasn't bad enough, then the last three trumpets were described as three woes. The fifth trumpet, or the first woe, saw the opening of a bottomless pit with the result that locust-like scorpions came out and tormented people for five months to the point where people wanted to die, but they weren't allowed to. God kept them alive to be tormented. The fifth trumpet, sorry, the sixth trumpet or the second woe saw 200 million horsemen breathing fire, the horses, not the men, breathing fire and sulfur, destroying a third of humanity. And then we looked at the possibility, well, there was seven thunders. And we didn't even get to look at them because God said, John, don't write about them. Just goes to show we don't need to know everything that's going on. And John, John didn't write, so I don't know what's in the seven thunders. Someone told me during the week or a couple of weeks ago, people have written books on what the seven thunders were. Don't buy it. Then chapter 10, verse 5 said this, after the, the sixth. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he preached to his servants, the prophets. So back in chapter 10, we had the angel, before the seventh trumpet was blown, gave a prophecy, saying there's delay no longer. So when the seventh trumpet is blown in chapter 11, verse 15, the mystery of God is fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And what happens now doesn't hold a candle, or so the other way around. What happens when the first six trumpets are blown, all that I've just read to you, doesn't hold a candle to what's going to happen 
when this seventh trumpet is blown. We see loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem so catastrophic, not, not after what we just read. It sounds like that might have been a quiet takeover. But is it? You know, we often think that the big stuff of the tribulation are all those judgments that just happened. And it is big. It's horrible. But don't think for a minute that those judgments were the, and are the end of the story. There's more to the story than the disasters that we've been up to so far. Because at the seventh trumpet, all that God has promised will come to fruition. At the seventh trumpet, all that God has been leading up to in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. I have to go forward. Just to put the book of Revelation into a perspective of how it's been written, if nothing else. You see, from where we are now in chapter 11, verse 15, until chapter 19, from, that, from where we are now to chapter 19 is an interlude. It's an interlude where John is going to be shown more tragedies. In fact, there'll be seven bowls of wrath. We're going to see the rise of the Antichrist. We're going to see the rise of the beast. In this interluding part, we're going to, it's going to be described to John Satan's activities on earth in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And so... These chapters from 11 to 19 are an interlude. But in chapter 19, verse 11, we have what happens after the blast of the trumpet. Before you turn there, just go back to chapter 11 and we'll, just to remind us that in verse 19, the temple of God which is in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared and then if you go straight to chapter 19, verse 11, you will see that it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. After the seventh blast of the trumpet, the Lord returns. The Lord returns because... We know that the seventh blast says the kingdom of our world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And chapter 19, verse 11 is how it starts. Stay there in verse 12. Just, I, I just love reading it. His eyes are a flame of fire and he, on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horses and against his army. And thus begins the battle. Carrying on from the seventh trumpet as it's blown in chapter 11 verse 15, announcing that the kingdom of this world is now our Christ. And when we get to chapter 19, we will go through that in a lot more detail. Just so you understand that chapter 11, verse 15, from then on to chapter 19, verse 11, is a kind of interlude that we will see lots of things happening. After the seal judgments, after the trumpet judgments, after the thunder judgments, after the bowl judgments, which we haven't even seen yet, the Lord returns and it says in there that he may strike down the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. And we'll see a lot more of that in 19, 20 and 21. In these intervening chapters, or after what we've just read, just quickly so you understand the the following of the story, when uh, the Lord comes back, we'll see the beast and the false prophet be thrown into the lake of fire. We're going to see the devil bound for a thousand years in the abyss. We'll see the millennial kingdom set up on earth where Christ reigns for a thousand years. We'll see Satan let out, left, let out of that abyss after the thousand years. And after one more attempt to defeat God, Satan is given one more attempt. He fails and will be sent into the lake of fire where the beast and the prophet are. As we go on, we see the, we're going to see the great white throne judgment where if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, you are sent to the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. And finally, we're going to see a new heaven and a new earth, the culmination of all things, the culmination of the mystery of God. Once a mystery, but now revealed to us through the book of Revelation. Why it says at the beginning, all who are blessed who read this book. And then our Lord Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. That's what's to come. But going back to chapter 11, we need to look at these verses. We need to understand why God has put them there, why he allowed John to see them. Why does God, or what does God reveal to us through this seventh trumpet? Does he reveal these things so we can have more knowledge and be puffed up? Of course not. This was for John's readers in the first century. And it's for us in the 21st century. And I believe that these scriptures, particularly the seventh trumpet, are to be a comfort to us as Christians and a challenge to you if you're a non-Christian. 
So how does, or how is the second coming of the Lord to set up the kingdom on earth? How is that comforting? Well, it's easy when you think about it, isn't it? Because Jesus is king. We just read that he's king of kings and lord of lords as he comes back after the seventh trumpet. Do you realize how exciting that is? Do you realize that Jesus is king? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became man. The eternal son of God joined himself to our humanity in order that we may join or he may join us to himself. How can the kingdom of the world become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ? Because the Lord or the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of Jesse, the Son of David, became the Lamb of God who was slain. In our Lord Jesus Christ, God himself became man. And as you know, we deserve death for our sin. As you know, we deserve judgment because we are rebels against God. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he didn't just die. That's, that's the beauty of it. He was raised from the dead. He has victory over death. He has defeated the power of the grave. And although at times it does seem like the throne of heaven is empty, when we see what's going on around us, it does seem like that. But scriptures like this, the book of Revelation, remind us that it's not. That God is in control. Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us right at this very moment. And he has all power and he has all authority. It's been given to him according to Matthew 28, 18. God is in control. And this seventh trumpet is an announcement that God and his Christ, it's time to take the world. It's time to take over as judge and king whenever the time is right. Christ's second comfort, our second coming, is a comfort for any born-again believer. But you know, even more is 1 Thessalonians 4.16 because the greatest comfort that I have is the rapture. You might like to turn there with me to 1 Thessalonians 4.16 because even though Christ's second coming is a great comfort for us, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 actually tells us that these are comforting words. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. That's what we were just singing about, this particular trumpet, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. And when that happens, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And then Paul says to the Thessalonians, therefore comfort one another with these words. 
It's great comfort. You know, we've all been going through Peter in our home groups. What does Peter do? These people are being persecuted. So he tells them the power they have in Christ. He tells them what to do and how to live. And then he says, don't forget, your he- don't forget heaven. Don't forget where your treasure is. He uses heaven as a comfort for these persecuted Christians that he's writing to. It's a great comfort, a comforting words. But it's only comfort for Christians. There's a comfort for Christians knowing that Jesus will make all things right. But the message of the seventh trumpet is also a challenge to those here this morning who may not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Because when the seventh trumpet blows, it says the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord. And if you sit here this morning and your heart is set on a different kingdom than Jesus Christ's kingdom, then judgment is coming against you. Let me say it very clearly. If your heart is devoted to establishing your own kingdom, if you are the king of your own life, you need to repent today. You need to turn away from your sin. You need to take you off the throne and you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. If there's something that matters more to you than the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then repent or perish. I know it sounds harsh, but the book of Revelation is harsh. There's no, there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground because it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And if you're in the kingdom of the world, then it will be defeated. And all, that I've, all the plagues of the tribulation, everything that I've just read can happen to you. A comfort for Christians, a challenge for those who are not. What's heaven's reaction to the seventh trumpet? Verse 16 says, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have become, begun to reign. From way back, you might remember that the 24 elders are a representation of the, of the raptured church. They're born-again believers, and they're on their faces worshipping God, giving thanks, because Jesus Christ has taken his great power, and he has begun to reign. The culmination, the completeness of of God's mystery. This is actually the third time that Revelation says that they have done this. Back in chapter 4, the 24 elders fell down and praised God as creator. In chapter 5, they fell down and praised him as the redeemer. And now here in chapter 11, they're falling on their faces and worshipping God as judge as king over all the earth. We give you thanks, O Lord, the Almighty, 
Did you notice that the 24 elders said, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were? You remember what Jesus said of himself in Revelation 1.8? He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So what was left off in chapter 11, verse 13, 17, that wasn't in chapter 1, verse 8? Who is to come? Why is it left off? Because he has come. The seventh trumpet announces Jesus has arrived. The culmination of all history has arrived from creation right through to a new heavens and a new earth. That has begun at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. But in the meantime, because that's where we are, we're in the meantime. In the meantime, the earth itself groans with anticipation of the Lord returning. We see that in Romans. The earth is just groaning, waiting for its redemption. We cry out, waiting for our redemption. We cry out to be where we should be. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here on this earth. We are citizens of heaven. That's where our home is and our body cries out for that. We cry out for it. In fact, we, we, we pray it because Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And what did he say? <laughs> he said that Whatever is happening on earth, we want it to happen, or what's happening in heaven happen on earth. That's how we should be praying. But at the seventh trumpet, all forces that oppose our Lord and his Christ are going to lose. Right at this moment, Christ is opposed by Satan and his angels. Satan is the prince of the air. We battle against principalities, against powers, against wickedness in high places. That's what we battle against now. The scriptures tell us that. Christ is opposed at every step. And we'll see that next time we're together in chapter 12, why that is the case. So we'll see that next time. Why? Because the next chapter is about Satan, particularly. But at the seventh trumpet, all those forces that oppose Christ will be gone. And that's what we see in, chapter, in verse 18. Verse 18 says, At the seventh trumpet, when the Lord returns, it says, verse 18, And the nations were enraged. You bet they were. And your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Why are the nations enraged? Because they want to have their own way. They want to have their own kingdom. The nations raged. Just turn with me to Psalm 2, a messianic psalm, and you'll see... The, uh, the psalmist writing about this very time. Certainly he wrote it 1,000 years ago, but more than that, 2,000, but this is what this psalm is all about, Psalm 2. 
Psalm 2 verse 1, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. I love that. The Lord scoffs at them. And he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. That last verse I read in chapter 19, 11, talked about the armies gathering together. The kings of the earth taking their stand, the rulers taking counsel against the Lord and his anointed as the, the Lord Jesus Christ comes down on, on, that, on that horse with, his, with, his, uh, with us following him. And the Lord in heaven laughs and scoffs at them and says, uh, but as for me, I've installed Jesus Christ as king. Like adolescent children, the nations want to cast off their restraint. And for a time, God is permitting that. I don't know why. But God is permitting it because he's in control and the seventh trumpet hasn't been blown yet. I haven't been raptured yet. But that's the fact. For a time, God will permit them to do so. And the result of God allowing that, particularly in the tribulation period, will be and the, the, the nations in their last attempt to build their utopia called Babylon in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. And we'll look at that and how God destroyed that. And we'll see how this belligerent attitude will finally cause the nations to unite under the, the auspice of the Antichrist and fight God at the Battle of Armageddon, which they lose. I took you to the back of the book. I don't normally do that when I'm reading Agatha Christie or something. I try and wait to the end of the book, but it's exciting to see the end of the book. They lose because God's wrath has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. God is long-suffering. We saw that in Peter, in 2 Peter, in our last study. God is long-suffering towards sinners, and he often postpones judgment. But eventually, there will be a final judgment of sinners and none will escape. Now, it doesn't tell us here in chapter 11, but when we look further through the book of Revelation, as we turn to the back to see what happens, especially in Revelation 20, we'll come to learn that the judgment of the wicked and the rewarding of the saints are separated by a thousand years. Even though it says it in one verse there in verse 18, we'll understand that it will be separated because you see at the beginning of the millennial period when Jesus beats that army that he's coming down to beat, as we saw in chapter 19 verse 11, he will reward the saints. And we'll see more of that when we get there. But the dead out of Christ don't get their final punishment until the end of the thousand-year reign. That's when all those who have died, all those who have, have died opposed to Christ, 
will stand before the great white throne judgment and be judged and rightly punished. There will be no appeal at this great white throne judgment. Let's have a quick look. I can't help but turn to the back of the book. Let's have a quick read of Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, so we can see this judgment that's being talked about in verse 18 of chapter 11. So Revelation 20, 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The books are opened. If your name's not there, there's no appeal. You are guilty. And so I ask the question, and you have to answer it to, in conjunction with God, is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Is it there? And then to close this chapter, verse 19 says... At the seventh trumpet, the temple of God which is in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant appeared in his temple and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and earthquake and a great hailstorm. I can't be absolutely sure, but I've got a feeling that's uh, when the Lord starts. After all that, here I come. <laughs> But the picture here is, is in heaven, John seeing heaven open and the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. And silly me, I, th I thought Indiana Jones had stored, uh, stored the, the, uh, the Ark in the warehouse in Washington, D.C. I thought, what in the world's it doing in, in heaven? Well, obviously God stole it back. No, not really. You know, this is the real Ark of the covenant do you realize that every, that solomon the one that solomon built was only a shadow of this ark that's in heaven maybe you also know that the temple in heaven well the temple on earth is just a shadow of the one that's in heaven why do we think john was shown the ark of the covenant i had to work through this God does not, or show John something that's not inconsequential. Why did he show him the Ark of the Covenant? And we have, to, we have to go back and remind ourselves that the majority of people reading this in the first century were Jewish Christians. 
So I had to ask myself, what did the ark mean to Jewish people? And as I remembered and, and reminded to, to understand that to Israel, the ark of the covenant was God's presence with his people. The Ark of the Covenant is where their God would be and dwelt to dwell among them. Now, we know as Christians that the Lord came and tabernacles with us. We know that he is amongst us, but the Ark of the Covenant to a Jewish person has the idea that God is with them. He's with their people. You see, up to this point, the ark has been lost for centuries. And now I'm sure John was a bit surprised. He knew it had been lost for centuries, but here was a reminder that God is still in their presence. But John also knew the ark of the covenant as a mercy seat. Remember, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the ark with the blood of the lamb to atone for the sins of the people. And on the earthly ark, the presence of God was manifest on that mercy seat above the cherubim, and that's how God presented himself in the Shekinah glory. On that ark. And I can't help but think that John seeing the ark of the covenant was God showing not only his presence among them, but his mercy to them. That's what it was called, the mercy seat, or at least the top part of it was called the mercy seat. Yes, he is judge. Yes, he is king. But he is a merciful God to all who believe and trust. It must have been encouraging for John to see the ark. It must have been encouraging for other Jewish Christians reading that the ark of the covenant is with God. So when will God hear the prayers of his people? When will that prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, come to fruition? I hope we're praying that thy will come. Remember, again in 2 Peter, we, our prayers hasten the coming of the Lord. I don't know if you studied that when you came across it in Peter, but it was a a real gem to see that we can hasten the coming of the Lord through prayer, through our living. So when will God hear the prayers of his people? When will he come to vindicate us and to take vengeance on this world? Well, when the seventh trumpet sounds, that's as far as I can go for you. And when that sounds, then the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and all things will be made right and eventually there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Yet I know that, it's, that right now it's, it's hard because we're living in the midst of a mess. But God in his graciousness has given us the book of Revelation. The Re Remember the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what it's about. He's given us this book to let us know what's coming and what he's actually doing. Imagine if we didn't have this book of Revelation. We wouldn't have a clue what God's doing, but we know what God is doing. We know his plans. 
We know why he does things or why he's doing things in the book of Revelation. And he does that so we might be comforted in the midst of a falling world. That we may be comforted as Peter comforted those who were being persecuted to know that our citizenship is in heaven. And if the Lord tarries, we might have to die to get there, but we can pray, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. But as we're reminded of what God has promised, as we've been reminded this morning, then what are we to do? Well, we're to walk with a single-minded devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ because his kingdom is coming. The king who's sitting on the throne and is bringing all things to that final day, we need to be devoted to him. But if you sit here this morning and you know what's waiting for you is not reward, but destruction, if you know that this morning, if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, I want you to remember and listen to the song we're about to sing which says, your sins are many, but his mercy is more. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this look and glimpse into the future to, to comfort us, to know what is going to happen and to know that as born-again believers we will be taken out of the, the path of all, these, all this destruction. That, Father, we'll be worshipping you in heaven, bowing down before you because of your greatness. And we are so thankful that you have saved us from the day of wrath. But Father, we live in a, a, a midst of the waiting and we need your, your power, your strength. We need to be reminded of these things to give us courage, to understand that where we are now is not the be-all and end-all that we're just passing through. And that, Father, we can be encouraged in that and to look to you to be devoted to you, our King. And Father, one day it will come. And maybe, may we all be found faithful. I ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.